It's good to be here today. It's good to see everyone. I'm surprised to see some of the softball players, because if you haven't heard on Thursday, we lost. And it was kind of bad, so it was, it's good to see everyone today. Um, we can only go up, so this is good. It's our first game. We can only get better, hopefully. But um, yeah, good to see everyone. Um, and so as always, I'd like to start with prayer, asking for God's help. So let's pray. Dear God, we come to you today just thankful and grateful for who you are. Um, God, as we dig into your word, I pray that through the Holy Spirit you can enlighten us, you can allow us to see your truth, that you are a faithful God, and that our faith can grow because of that. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we all know that we're in a kind of a unique situation with everything going on in the world. Um, the coronavirus is no, no secret to anybody. Um, we're all in this pandemic, um, and it's kind of changed our lives. There's, there's been a loss in jobs for some people, a loss in income, a loss in community, a loss in just the normal freedoms that you get to have, a loss of sports and leisure and hobbies. And it seems on the flip side of that, there's an increase in worry, there's an increase in fear and stress. Um, but as that's kind of facing the whole world, even in the nation that we have in America today, there's injustice, there's people being killed who are innocent, there's a cry for, for help and an uncertainty of what that looks like. And even narrowing that circle again even more, even in our culture, um, there is what they say as a post-Christian culture, that people are beyond the Christian idea, ideal, and to be a Christian now is to almost be seen as bigoted, and um, there is the push for abortions, there's a push for changing the definition of marriage, there's, there's changes in all these types of things. Closing the circle again even more, even in our own families we see this. We see, we see difficulties, we see sicknesses, we see diseases, we see just the pressures that we might not even be able to see family because of this whole pandemic. And then narrowing it to the most personal with our own, our own lives, we see the, the difficulty with sin that we have, that we, we are not immune to sin, that we all face it, and it is something that we want to get better, but our sinful nature inside of us, there's, there's that war, as Paul talks about, and so it seems like maybe in this time, the patience that we thought we had wasn't necessarily there, and the anger that we thought wasn't there is there. And so I say all this to say that how are we to, to take a promise in Scripture that one of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. How can we look at a promise that God is working all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose? How can we hold on to that promise? As, as Christians, we are to have faith in a faithful God, but how can we do that? And so as we set out today, my, my quest, my desire for us is for us to see the faithful God, the God who is there, who is faithful, who always 100% of the time succeeds in what he says and for our faith to grow because of that. And so I want us to, as we begin, think about what this looks like. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 15, and so if you can open up your Bibles to, to Genesis 15, we'll be 
starting in that passage. And so there's kind of three, three things I want us to see. So we're going to first look at Genesis 15 and then see throughout all of scripture what this promise of God to Abraham meant. Secondly, we're going to ask what this says about God, because that, that should be a needed next step when we read a passage, we need to ask, what does this say about God? And then thirdly, we're going to look at what our response should be in light of that. So, before we read Genesis 15, I want us all to be on the same page so we know, we know where we're coming from. So I'm gonna give you a quick, a quick history of what that looks like. So Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. He saw it was good. He, he created the heavens and the earth and everything among them. But his climax, his pinnacle of creation was humanity. He created Adam and Eve and they were perfect. They were very good. And the goal was to have relationship with them forever. But as we come to, to chapter three, we immediately see Adam and Eve, they sinned. They disobeyed God, they, they saw what God could give them and they said, okay, I can do that myself. I can seek after these things. Instead of looking at the giver of good things, I'm going to do that myself and I'm going to, to find my own way. Obviously they rebelled against, against God and so from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, we see immediately afterwards, Cain kills Abel. The brother murders a brother. We see that the wickedness in, in Genesis 6 with Noah is so great that God sends a flood to destroy the wicked people and he saves his people through Noah. And then in Genesis 11, we see in the Tower of Babel, those who wanted to make a name for themselves, who wanted to build the tower to reach the heavens, God disperses them. And so we get to to Genesis 12, and this is where the story begins for a man named Abram, or Abraham, this is what his name gets changed to. So we see in Genesis 12 something, something interesting. God calls Abraham, or Abram, from a pagan nation, from a nation that had nothing to do with God, they worshiped their own idols, and so God calls Abraham, and he promises them three things. And these th three things are important for us today. He promises them land, seed, and blessing. These are the three promises God presents to Ab Abram. And the first one is land. It is a place for him and his people to live. Um, the second is seed, an offspring that um, Abraham would be the father, and so he would have an offspring and kids. And then the third is blessing, that he would be a blessing to the whole world. And so the Lord promises this to, to Abram and says, okay, I will give you land, seed, and blessing. And then as we see from Genesis 12 to 14, kind of like the ebb and flow of Ab Abram, you see him doing well and believing God, and then you see him nose diving and lying to an Egyptian Pharaoh because he thought that he was going to die, so in order to save his own skin, he lies. And so you kind of see this ebb and flow of Abraham until we get to Genesis 15. So if you're there, we're going to read right along in Genesis 15. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord, 
God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted at him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Camonite, Cadmodianites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Man, that's hard to say. But we have here the promise again, the Lord to Abram. The, and we see here, right in the beginning, verse 1, he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And think, this is Abram, who just a couple chapters earlier was, was promised that he will get land, seed, and blessing. And so now this, this promise, first off, says he, he will be a shield. God is promising him protection. He is promising him comfort. He's promising him safety. And he says, your reward shall be very great. He's promising a great reward for this. But then, you see, as, as, as we just read, Abram follows that up by saying, O oh Lord, what will you give me for I continue childless? You see... Abraham saying, okay, God, how is, how is this possible? How is this going to happen? Because I don't have any kids. I'm, I'm past the age of childbearing, and so how is this going to work? So once again, the Lord, again, makes this promise more visible this time. He says, okay, look, look to the heavens. You see all these stars? If you can even number them, this will be your offspring. This will be a visible way for you to look and be like, okay, God will make my offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so in verse 6, it says, and he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Now this is a great 
a great sermon in itself where Paul picks up in, in, in Romans when we don't have enough time for it today. But Abraham believed the Lord that he would do this. He believed the Lord. He took him at his word and believed him. But then that again is followed up with what he says in verse 8. He says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You have here the Lord, again, numerous times before this, from Genesis 12, even here in Genesis 15, promising him what will happen. He says, okay, I will give you these things. Look at the stars. You can look at the sand, and I will make sure that you are a numerous, numerous people. And he says, how is this to be? And so the Lord makes this crystal clear when we jump down to verse 13. He says, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And so this is kind of where the Lord gives a testimony of, of to what is to come. And so I really want to focus on Abram's response where he says, how am I to know that this will happen? And then the Lord's response when he says, know for certain this will happen. Because I think it's, it's a very easy parallel for, for us today looking at specifically the story in Genesis 15. Because we can see, okay, the Lord promises numerous things. Let's pick one. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You, you see that, you take that, see it in his word, and then you immediately go and you nosedive. You, you think, okay, I need to do this all by myself. Um, I, I've got, got this far by myself, so I need to continue doing that. And then you hear another promise that um, never will I leave you nor forsake you. You hear that, that's great. And then you immediately turn away like Abraham did and nosedive once again. And so I think for us, we're asking that question. I ask that question, how can I be sure? How can I know for certain that God will do what he says he is. And I think this is the story of, the, of all of scripture is what God wants us to see. That's why I'm focusing on that today. How can we be sure? Because it's not just something in word, but it's something in deed that the Lord, the Lord promises. And so the big thing that we can see here is the faithfulness of God. And kind of my own definition that I that I made myself, um, which I think is helpful for today, is this. Faithfulness is a certainty that which God says he will do because he is good enough, mighty enough, and has the wisdom to do it. Let me just repeat that. God's faithfulness is the certainty of that which he says he will do because he is good enough, mighty enough, wise enough to do it. And so I think this is important because oftentimes we're, we can understand people saying, okay, I want to do this and not coming through on their actions. I, I, I grew up watching Seinfeld. And so one of those episodes, I remember Jerry going in to, to get a reservation for a car and he walks in, he says, hey, I called about a reservation. Do you have that reservation? And they say, no, we don't have the reservation. And he goes on to say, well, anyone can just take reservations. Anyone can just take them, take, take, take. But you have to hold the reservation. You have to keep it. 
And I kind of think that is a good picture because oftentimes we see people say things or even we might question in scripture people, God saying things. But are we really sure, do we have a certainty that that which God says he will do? And I hope we can see that today. So I hope you're ready to buckle up because I want to give you from Genesis throughout scripture a biblical theology of what God's faithfulness has looked like. And this is a great thing for all of us to see and a challenge for all of us because even as we read the Old Testament, sometimes it's, okay, how does this make sense to me? How, how, how can I understand this in such a way? For me living in 2020 right now, how can I understand this? And if we see the Old Testament as an anticipa anticipation um, and then a fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament, I think we can see through the correct lens of how we are to see now. And so, as I discussed, we have, we have Abram here. Abram was given this promise that he will have land, seed, and blessing. And, we, and Genesis specifically fulfills and, and continues this, this narrative. So Abraham, as we know, has a son named Isaac. Isaac was born in a unique circumstance. He, he was born, and, and we follow that lineage from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who is also has his name changed to Israel. And then Genesis kind of ends with the story of Joseph. Joseph, um, as, as we can, can read about, he's faced a lot of difficulties. He's thrown into prison. He's, his reputation is marked. Um, all these different things happen to Joseph. But through, through God's sovereignty and through God's plan, Joseph is able to be the number two person in Egypt. And through this, he is able to be faithful because God was faithful. Because there was a great, great famine that happened. And so Joseph was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh and save his people. And so ultimately, God was faithful in saving his people of the promise that he made to Abraham through Joseph. And so as we continue to read scripture, we see in Exodus how this continued to play out. And so you have a great multitude of people in, in Egypt. You have people numerous and numerous, and so as the Egyptian pharaoh sees, he says, hey, there's a lot of people here. They might easily take over, take over Egypt and have their own nation, so I need to put them under slavery. So that's the Egyptian pharaoh puts them under slavery, but God still has a plan. God continues his plan of faithfulness of what he said to Abram, and so he raises up a man named Moses, and Moses performs signs and wonders and miracles, and he is able to liberate his people. And so they are able to be free from the slavery of Egypt and go out into the wilderness. And so you see here that now God is kind of working this story. You see, okay, he has his people. He's growing his people. They don't really have land yet, but they're at least free from slavery in Egypt. They don't, they're not really being a blessing yet, but you kind of see these steps in place. And so you see... You see that, and then you have the wilderness wanderings where the people were disobedient in the wilderness and they're, and they're wandering, but then they're on the precipice of, of the promised land and Joshua comes, and this is the story of Joshua where Joshua is able to bring his people into the promised land. He's able to beat all the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the mosquito bites, the whateverites you want to mention, and he's able to have victory over them. 
And so God, again, is faithful to his promise through, jo- through Joshua and is able to bring his people, the seed, into a land that would be theirs, the promised land. And then as we continue the story in the Old Testament, we see this even further. We see, okay, so then the judges come and then the, the King Saul is the first king that is put up, but he was the people's choice. He was, he was the person that Israel wanted as a king, and so he was the biggest, strongest, fastest person that, that was in Israel, so he was deemed king. But obviously we know that he wasn't the rightful king, and so just in the message that we heard, David became king. David became king and started doing doing right by the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart, so he was doing right things for the Lord. And so he had a son named Solomon. Solomon takes over and is able to continue somewhat in his father's footsteps. But then, after Solomon, is where the kingdom breaks. You have Israel and you have Judah, and you have kind of this separation throughout the whole Old Testament. And so you see, okay, God, what are you up to? You brought the people, very numerous. You, you were growing Israel as a nation. You brought them into a land. Okay, they're, they're really not a blessing yet. So, so what's going on here, God? I, I thought you were kind of doing these in order and setting up a plan. So, did God falter on his promise? No, God, God did not. He is faithful, and he was faithful. Because as the Old Testament ends the New Testament begins. And here you have Jesus. You have the prophecy of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, and then you have the fulfillment in the New. And so Jesus comes where there is no need for another. Jesus is the climax of this whole book, of all of Scripture. Jesus is the one in who it points to. And so promise after promise is fulfilled in Jesus. You have the promise of Abram, throughout all of the Old Testament, focused on land, seed, and blessing, fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus came to bring out the new kingdom. And he says, okay, looking at the land, it was never supposed to be a physical land, okay, right here, right now. This land is a land that is brought about believing in Christ Jesus, which will be ultimately in the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's, Abram's promise of land. It's also, he's the promise of the seed because, again, it is not just the physical seed of Abram that is the promise. It's not, okay, all the descendants just of Abram will be his people, will be the nation of Israel, will be the ones to have this new heaven and new earth. We see, specifically in Galatians, it's not the physical descendants of Abram, it is the spiritual descendants. Like Abram in Genesis 15, 6, when he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, we also, when we believe God, it will be credited to righteousness as us. We will be seen in Christ. And so the spiritual seed is now those who believe in Christ. So Jesus not only fulfills the land, he not only fulfills the seed, but thirdly, he fulfills the blessing. He fulfills the blessing where the blessing in Abram's time was that he will be, that um, he will bless the world through him, and so God, in Jesus Christ, promises to be a blessing f- 
before all of the nations, that all the nations will hear the good news of the gospel, and that everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation will, will be able to be brought into the kingdom through belief in Jesus Christ. And so this is how we see the faithfulness of God on display here. Has God accomplished what he said to Abram? Did he accomplish what he said? Absolutely so. And so we are to look and to see this story today by following that up with the second, second um, structure point that I have here, which is, what does this tell us about God? So as this is a needed second step, and in, in whenever we read scripture, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what is scripture saying first and foremost about God? Because this scripture is a story to tell us about God. So we need to ask that question, what does this tell us about God? So first and foremost, like I hopefully shared with you before, God is faithful. That is a key point for today for us to look at, specifically in Genesis 15 and throughout scripture. God is faithful. That which he says he will do, 100% of the time he has a track record that is perfect. 100% of the time he will do what he says. Number two, what this tells us about God is that he wants to reveal himself to us. Now think about that. God wants to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to act in this way. He didn't have to um, have the Bible be shaped um, the way he did, but he wanted to. He wanted to reveal himself as a committed God. He wanted to reveal himself as gracious. He wanted to reveal himself as loving towards us, that he has the power that nothing on earth will be able to overcome his power and his plan. God wanted to reveal himself to show that he has a sovereign plan from Genesis all to Revelation, that his plan will happen, and so he wanted to reveal his faithfulness to us. And so we should first and foremost praise him for that. We, sh we should recognize how faithful God is and that which he says he will accomplish. This is the core of our faith. This is the foundation of our faith. It is believing that which God says he will do. And so that is, that is an essential point in our faith. And so thirdly, we see that this tells us that we are included in his plan. So we are included in this. So for this whole part, I was telling you how this shows about the faithfulness of God, how this shows that he is trustworthy, he is true to himself. And so now we need to change that focus from, okay, understanding who God is, that he is faithful to our response. What are we to do? How are we to see this? that God is faithful to display his holy love for his undeserving people by saying and acting according to his plan because he is good, mighty, and wise. So, we should see his faithfulness and be faithful to him. God is faithful, wants to show that to us, so he wants us to be faithful to him. But, obviously that's that's a lot easier said than done, right? It's, it's, I can't just say, be faithful, 
and then it works, right? It's, it's not that easy. Obviously, as, as parents have kids, it's not easy just to say, do this, because myself as a, as a kid knows when my parents says do something, I want to do the exact opposite of what they say. And so it's not easy just to say, okay, do this, be faithful, that's it. We need to see who God is so that um, motivates our hearts and then we need to run after that. And so we have a problem now, right? Because as, as I showed you throughout scripture, as I showed you from Genesis in the story of Abram, he was told, he, was, he, was, he talked to God, he was able to see God, but yet he knows God. He was not faithful. He looked at God's promise, said, okay, that's great, and then immediately lied. And then he looked at this and then went out with his uh, maidservant. And so it's just like, man, what, what are we to do? How are we to do this? And I hate to say it, I got bad news. We can't. We can't on our own be faithful to God. Because of sin, because of Genesis 3 all the way on, we have been plagued with sin. We are incapable to follow after God. We have no desire to do so, and we have no ability to do so. So that's why Ephesians 2 talks about our deadness. We are dead without Christ. And so, as we look, narrowing our focus now on, on Jesus again, as he is the climax, we see our inability to obey God, but we see Jesus' 100% ability to obey God. The fact that Jesus went all the way to the cross to assure us of this is amazing. Like Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus stepped down on this earth, took on flesh, humbled himself in order to be obedient to what God had planned for us. Because now, through Jesus' sacrificial death, Jesus was obedient to the Lord, and he said, okay, I'm going to take the punishment on myself. I, I live a sinless, perfect life. I am God incarnate. I'm going to die on this cross for those who would believe in me that they might have, that they might see and savor the faithfulness of God. And so we need to understand this and we need to look to Christ as the faithful one. As we are faithless, we need to see Christ as the faithful one. Jesus came to fulfill even to the point of death. So we are to look at Jesus as, as our example. We are to look at him as, um, our, as we are to embody Jesus himself as Christians, as little Christ. We are to live that out ourselves. So how are we to do this? This is kind of the third and last point. How are we to do this? What's our response as a Christian for this? Well, I don't know you guys as well as other people do, as well as Matt, as well as you yourselves know you. And so this, this takes some, some soul searching. This takes um, looking into our own hearts and seeing where in my life am I unfaithful to God? And so I just have a couple examples here in my life and what I think will be helpful for us today. One is that of anxiety. We think, oh man, God, how is, 
how is this going to happen? How, how are we going to get through this coronavirus? How are we going to get through this injustice? How are we going to get through X, Y, Z? And so one, one thing at one passage I want us to look at is Matthew 6. Now, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and so Jesus is talking about, about anxiety. And he says here in Matthew 6, 25 and following, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. And here's where, here's where he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was, was, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you see here in this, in this specific passage in Matthew 6, he's saying, even look at the birds, some of the most insignificant things that we could think about, does the Lord not provide for them? Does he not provide for these sparrows that fly? Will he not much more provide for us? He says, they're worrying about clothing. Oh, will God, will he not much more clothe you? This is the, the God that we, that we worship, that we love, that we adore. This is the God who is faithful because even to the insignificant things of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, God provides for them. So maybe it's anxiety for us. Maybe it's, it's that thought of, man, how, how am I going to get through this day, this loss of job, this loss of income, this loss of community, bring it to the word and bring it to the promises that we have and see how God is faithful. Or maybe it's something else for us. It's that we don't understand our identity in Christ or we, we begin to doubt who God is. We, again, think, would a good God put us through these types of things? Would this happen to me if God is truly good? I want us to turn our attention then to Romans 8. And we look at a couple verses here, starting in Romans 8:28, And he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be among many the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is a great promise. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or a pandemic, if I can add that, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if we begin to doubt, is God good? Look at the promises of scripture that God who has given us Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ laid down his life, ultimately not needing to, but because of love for us, dying on a cross, being scourged and beaten and ultimately crucified. If, if he did not graciously give that to us, the most precious gift to God, will he not give us everything that we need? And so it might be anxiety, it might be our lack of understanding of who God is and his goodness. Or thirdly, it could be that we think this world is just too much. Um, again, as, as we float back to, to Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, I want us to look at just a quick verse. Um, All right, and so just in this context, this is where Peter has then identified Jesus as, as the Son of Man. He says, um, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus an answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that, that verse to me in these past couple weeks has been helpful because during this whole pandemic, during this whole fight for injustice, uh, I've been taking a class online about um, just the current theological issues. And to be honest, it keeps coming at you. There's a book I was reading that talks about the changes in, in education, the changes in law. And like I said before, it's, it's a post-Christian um, society now. And so it's just like, what is a guy to do? What's a, what's a Christian's response to do? Because it seems everything is changing and it's building up more and more and more. What are we to do? Look at the promise and see that G Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. So nothing that Satan can throw will be greater than Christ and the church. That there won't be anything there will be difficulties, but there won't be anything outside of what Jesus has said that's where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, no matter what is thrown, will not prevail against it. So these are three, three things that I think are, are relevant and applicable for us today. But like I said, there's things that you might be going through that you yourselves know and maybe other people don't. And so my challenge to you is 
to be your own pastor. To be your own pastor in the sense that you need to take scripture, what Matt does each week and what other people, other pastors do, take the truths of scripture and pound them into your heart. Do not leave the table, do not leave your seat until your heart overflows with that sense that God will do what he says he will do, okay? And so preach to yourself, find the areas in your life where you need to hear from God. And so it could be about anxiety, it could be about the goodness of God, it could be about this world and, and what seems to be taking victory, or it could be about finances, it could be about um, God's provision. I guarantee you, if, if you devote yourself and look and read scripture, you will find promises for you. And I would challenge you, not leave, don't leave your seat, don't leave where you are until your heart sees these promises, savors these promises, and is able to have that heart change, to have that mindset of, wow, okay, God will provide for me. I have seen God provide for me in amazing ways in my, in my times in Costa Rica. Like, it hasn't made sense to me how I was spent four years in Costa Rica, I don't know, probably around 25,000 I needed to, to raise for that. I don't know how God provided in those ways. Like, I didn't have any debt because of it. God used family, God used friends, God used strangers to provide, all because God had a plan. And so I hope we can leave today understanding who God is, that he is the faithful God, that he delivers 100% of the time, that what he says he will do. He has a perfect track record, that our, our praise and our worship to God will be even stronger because we see this. We, we see that God does this, and so our faith will be stronger, and our lives will be changed to look more like Christ. Christ, who is the perfect, faithful one, our lives should mimic that. And so I hope today that we can trust in the faithful God who will deliver on what he says. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you so much for the ability we have to, to read and understand what it says. God, that there are some great and precious promise, promises in here. God, and so as we see through the life of Abram, all the way on through the entirety of scripture that you are a faithful God. That which what you say you will do because you are good enough, mighty enough, and wise enough to do it. God, so I pray that we can, we can see your faith, your faithfulness, and we can be faithful to you. God, help us in this. Help us when we're nose diving and, and haven't been faithful to you. Um, God, and help us to, to live more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.